So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We find ourselves in the book of 1 Corinthians, going through it. We're smack dab in the middle of a series, if you will. It's a series as we're going through the Bible. And the series is things offered to idols or meat offered to idols and what they're supposed to do with that. And so this was a question that was brought to Paul uh, here from this church. And so that's kind of where we're in the middle of. The title of the message is Examples Written for Our Admonition. And so we have been given these examples. Everybody's an example, whether you're a good example or a bad example. Everybody's an example. And we're going to see that these examples written in the Old Testament are for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, let's pray. Father, we ask your blessing upon your word, Lord, and we lift this time up to you. We pray, Father, that you would speak to us, speak through your love letter to us, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your spirit says to the church this morning. In Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. At the outset, I want to let you know that if you were to read this section of scripture and not know the nature of God, it can come across somewhat harsh. So I want to let you know what the nature of God is. The nature of God is love. The nature of God is is one of peace, one of long-suffering and patience and kindness and goodness. In fact, when Moses would instruct the priests before they would speak to the people in Numbers chapter 6, Moses would be instructed that if my people are going to be spoken to by my representatives, people who call themselves leaders or priests or pastors or elders, then I want them to pronounce a blessing upon my people because I'm not mad at them and I don't ever want you to portray that I'm mad at them. And so when they speak on my behalf, make sure that they pronounce this blessing, blessing upon them. The Lord bless you, the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. And isn't that awesome? So when we read sections of scripture like this where we have an admonition, where God is pointing out this bad example of the nation of Israel, we are to take heed for this example and we're to make sure that we understand it comes from a heart of God who has a heart of love. So let's read it. We're going to look at verses 1 through 13 today. I'm going to stop on 13. We'll break that down a little bit. We'll come back to 1 through 13, and then I'll kind of uh, show you the two, I guess, main messages that God was showing me as I was going through this this week. So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting at verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. 
nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, to able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So two things stand out in this chapter or at least in this section. We're going to finish the chapter next week. But the two things that stood out to me as I was going through this was, first of all, the context. The context of chapters 8, 9, and 10 is eating meat sacrificed to idols. Eating meat sacrificed to idols. Now, that means next to nothing to us in our culture, right? We're not necessarily eating meat that sacrifices to idols by these pagan temples and these false gods and things like that. But they were struggling with that in first century A.D., And the heart of what Paul wanted to communicate with that message was, be careful because there's some people in the fellowship that have a sensitive conscience. And if they think something is sinful, even though you have knowledge, don't let your knowledge puff you up because take the higher road of love. Be sensitive to them. Be careful not to stumble them with your knowledge. And so that was very important. And that's the context of what we're going to be looking at. On the other hand, I see in this second section a gigantic thing of temptation. And all of us are tempted. And we're tempted daily. And so where does that temptation come from? And and why are some people tempted to a greater degree than others? And and why does it seem like there's a spiritual attack on some uh, more than others? And just all of this stuff of temptation. And temptation is an elicitation to sin. It's evil. It's coming from Satan, and Satan in his wisdom is subtle. He's had a long time to perfect his craft. And so when he comes at us, he doesn't come with bold face stuff where we're able to see it for what it is. And that's what makes the temptation sometimes alluring or attractive to us. And so all of us have been tempted All of us are being tempted and all of us will continue to be tempted, right? Because we live in this fallen world and that's Satan's job to elicit towards evil. It is not sin to be tempted. But Satan wants to even convict us, or not convict us, but uh, condemn us with that. Just because we were tempted, he likes to just hound us with that and have us live in guilt but it's not a sin to be tempted. And so it's very important. A recent survey of discipleship journal readers ranked areas of greatest spiritual challenge to them. And so they ranked it one through 10. So maybe you'll find your place of temptation within this list. Number one, materialism. Not hard to understand living in this world of material things and just seeing what we see and being exposed to what we're exposed to the number one temptation greatest spiritual challenge was materialism number two pride pride is very subtle and it masquerades itself in many different things but pride is an assault on self find that interesting because number three was self-centeredness and to this age that we live in into the culture 
God would write um, through Paul to Timothy in the last days, be careful because men will be what? Lovers of self, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, Um, having a form of godliness but denying the power therein. And so be careful of these things. Number four, laziness. And again, laziness masquerades in different things, but laziness is what it is. Number five, there was a tie between anger, bitterness, and sexual lust. So seven, we jump to envy. Eight, gluttony. And number nine, lying. And so these were the things of highest regard that people were struggling with, the greatest spiritual challenges. Survey respondents noted temptations were more potent when they had neglected their time with God. 81% of the people surveyed said, when I neglect time with God, I notice that temptations have a, have a stronger effect in my walk, in my life. And when they were physically tired, 57%. If you combine physically tired and sick for me, it's over. Don't even get in front of me. You don't want to hear what's coming out of this mouth. It's over. It's just, I'm done. When I'm tired and I'm just sick, oh, I'm just such a big baby. And I just, I just, I got to shut my mouth because if I open it, sin's coming out. And so know these areas of weaknesses personally for you. If you know that the enemy can attack better or, or you can be weaker in one area, then be careful what you're doing with that time. Resisting a temp, uh, temptation was accomplished by, number one answer was prayer, 84% said that when I pray, I'm able to co- overcome temptation a lot better. Uh, two was avoiding compromising situations, 76%. Putting yourself in a compromising position or situation is probably not wise, and so be careful. If you know that you have area weaknesses in certain areas, try to avoid those things. Uh, The third one was Bible study, 66% uh, found that they can resist temptation. And then finally, being accountable to someone, 52%. And so those are important areas for us to take into consideration in the midst of temptation. Once again, prayer, avoiding compromising situations, Bible study, and being accountable to someone. And that just sounds like wisdom, right? Be in prayer, be in the word. Uh, Make sure that you're accountable to somebody, that they can call you on things. And um, what was the other one? Prayer, avoiding compromising situations. So as you're going through this verse, again, we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Sometimes we say it's just too hard, these temptations. Or or maybe you're not struggling with sin at all, but rather very painful circumstances, an illness, death, financial crisis or conflict that feels like it's too much for you to handle. Whatever situation you're in, God has a message for you. God wants to speak directly into your situation. So the verse says, no temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Within this one verse, we see five things that we can learn from. Five hope-giving truths you must embrace in the midst of your storm, in the midst of whatever difficulty you're going through. And, And something to be mindful of as you are tempted. And I will say this, these will be on the website, and so cclivingwater.net if you ever want to get more information. But when I find articles that I think have more information than I'm able to share on Sunday, then I post those things on the website so that you can read through the entire article. 
So five things. Number one, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. It says it right there in the verse, doesn't it? In other words, what you're going through has been experienced before. What you're going through, the difficulty that you may be having, the temptation that you face, somebody has faced it before. Maybe not specifically, exactly to the intent that you're going through it, but nonetheless, that temptation has been experienced. And so in that, there must be a solution that they figured out if they were able to get through it. And that should bring us some hope. That should bring us some encouragement that if there's something that I'm going through and others have gone through it, then wow, I'm not alone. You're not the first person to go through what you're experiencing. Whether you've lost a loved one, your job, your marriage, or a battle against sin, there are millions of people around the world and throughout history who have experienced essentially the same thing. This should give you an incredible amount of hope. You're probably thinking, what hope is there in that? The answer is simply this. common problems have common solutions. Your situation has details unique to you, but at its core, it is just like what many other people experience. Scripture was written to people who were in, in many ways, like us. Their experience, pain, and death. They had bad marriages and problems in church. They struggled with same kinds of sin as we do. Therefore, the solutions God gave them apply to us as well. Whatever your struggle is, the solution is in the Bible. One way I've seen this work out oftentimes is uh, we like to think at times that we're unique. We like to think that um, out of pride that Satan is really messing with us like he's never messed with anybody else in the world. That's just foolish. Nothing could be further from the truth. We're not so on Satan's hit list that we're the only ones going through what we're going through. And so again, that should bring some hope that, man, if, if God has helped somebody else through something like this, then I'm sure he can help me. Number two, very important to see, and it's right there in the verse, God is faithful. God is faithful. God will not ruin his reputation on you. God is faithful, has been faithful, and will continue to be faithful. And you might say, well, you don't understand. I've really given in. I've sinned. I've messed up. So therefore, God can't be faithful to me. I find it interesting in 2 Timothy, the Bible says that when we are faithless, God remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. And so the character of God is faithfulness. And so even if we are faithless, God remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. And again, that should bring us hope. God's faithfulness always overcomes sin and persecution. God promised his faithfulness to Israel even after they'd committed unspeakable acts of idolatry. God was faithful to David even after he sinned with Bathsheba. God was faithful to Peter even after he denied Jesus three times. God was faithful to Daniel in the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Sin and impossible circumstances are no match for God's faithfulness. Number three, He will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able. And so that's good to know. And sometimes when I'm going through something very difficult, I say, God, you must know me better than I do because I'm about to give in. Crying uncle, help me. Show me the way out, Lord. Whatever you're facing right now, God's grace is sufficient. And that's what he told Paul in 2 Corinthians when he prayed three times to remove that thorn in the flesh. It may not feel like it's possible, but on the basis of God's character and by his strength, 
you can overcome your trial. Maybe you've observed others going through difficult times and thought to yourself, I could never go through that. The truth is, if God placed you in, placed it into your life, he would give you the grace to go through it. Whatever you're experiencing now, God gives you the grace to endure it. And so that is, we will not be, um, that is number two. God is faithful. Number three, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you're able. Number four, with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape. This makes me think of the paratrooper dropped into enemy territory who needs to make his way back to safety. He has no trap door or tunnels to crawl through. He won't be rescued by helicopter or beamed to safety. He has to find a way through enemy territory. And so even though it feels like we're in enemy territory, are we not? And even though it feels like it's overwhelming and it's going to overcome us, the way out is oftentimes the way through. And we need to be led by God. We need to look to God to lead us in that way of escape. And finally, number five, you will be able to endure it. After reminding you your situation is common, God is faithful, he will strengthen you and guide you through the difficult time, Paul assures you that if you follow God's path, you can and will endure. If you're weighed down with the pressures of life, God may not remove the burden, but he will strengthen your legs to endure. Think about it. The Bible isn't only for people who, with simple problems, getting cut off the freeway or plumbing issues. The Bible addresses all people and all problems, whether trivial, bad traffic, clogged faucets, or severe life-dominating sins, terminal illness. The apostles had personally evangelized and taught many of the people to whom they wrote. Reading their letters, you quickly realize people in churches had very difficult problems and they needed apostolic instruction. In fact, the Hebrew scriptures were for New Testament believers, what the entire Bible is to us. We saw earlier in that chapter as we were reading through it, now these things happened as examples to us who will live in the end of the age. So when you read 1 Corinthians 10, 13, know for certain that no matter what the depth of your temptation or trial, the Lord is faithful. He has provided your way of escape and you can endure it. Jumping back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 1, let's see now what it is that Paul is trying to communicate with this church as he lets them know the nation of Israel's history and God's faithfulness to them in the midst of that history. Verse one says, moreover, brethren. And so he's continuing on on this subject of meat sacrifice to idols. He said in chapter eight, be careful with your knowledge because knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And as Christians, we should be those who walk in love. In chapter nine, he talked about his freedom and the right that he had to be able to receive money from the gospel. Because he was a minister of the gospel, he had every right to be paid through that ministry, but he didn't insist on his right. In fact, he said, I'm not going to insist on that. I'm going to be a tent maker outside so that nobody will be stumbled by my receiving money. And so he laid down his right. And so now we move over to chapter 10 here. And he's saying, moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. This points back to Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 and 22. If you'll remember, in the wilderness, God led the nation of Israel 
with a pillar of cloud by day. And that same cloud became a pillar of fire by night. And when the cloud moved, the nation of Israel was to move. And if you think of a cloud in the desert providing what? Protection from the sun. Guidance as it would move. Where would you want to be if you're walking around in the desert if there's a cloud? You want to be under the cloud in the shade, right? And so as that cloud moved, and it speaks of God's Shekinah glory and his presence as Christians in our lives. God wants you to stay under the spout where the glory comes out. God wants to lead you by his glory, by his love. And so he does that through circumstances in our life. He does that through longings within our hearts. Sometimes there's something of just something stirring and God wants to guide and direct you through those different things. He'll definitely lead you through his love letter, his word, circumstances, providential circumstances, open and closed doors for you in your life. He'll speak through leaders within the body, whether you're listening to the message on the radio, whether you're, you're just talking to a brother or sister that's tight with the Lord, he'll begin to speak through them to you. And so these are different ways that God wants to lead us. But you know that this nation of Israel was being led through the wilderness by a cloud. All pass through the sea. This is found in Exodus chapter 14, verses 21 through 31. And it speaks of baptism as they couldn't do nothing to help their situation It was God that would deliver them from the Pharaoh, from the king of Egypt, this taskmaster. They were slaves in Egypt. And God would send his servant Moses to go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Let them go out into the wilderness to worship me. And it would be through through a succession of 10 plagues that Pharaoh would eventually let God's people go. And the way he would do that is he would tell Moses to put his staff in the Red Sea. And what would happen? The water would part. And I was reading through it again in Exodus. And it says that the water through the wind, it became like walls. And they were able to pass through the seas. But that's not all that took place. The wind came down and it dried the bottom of the, of the, of the sea so that they walked on dry ground. And so you have this water that is just suspended on two sides. And you have them being able to walk through. But not only that, the cloud covered them from the nation of of Egypt being able to see where they were. And as they walked through, that cloud was following them. And then the the nation of Egypt followed along. And what happened? God let the waters come back and, and the enemy was drowned. And so it speaks for us of baptism and coming out of the old life and into the new life that we identify with Jesus. His life burial death and resurrection in baptism. And so these are privileges that God gave to the nation of Israel, but he also gives to us as his children. Verse three says, all ate the same spiritual food, Exodus 16, 35. What was that spiritual food? It was manna. Manna miraculously coming down, landing on the floor. And everybody was able to what? Gather enough for one day. If they gathered more from the day, what would happen? It would be rotten. So they weren't supposed to be greedy and get more because God by faith was going to provide for them daily. Do you know the same thing is true for us? God is gonna provide for us daily for our needs, not our greeds. And so God is faithful to be able to do that. And that's what that supernatural manna sustenance spoke of. And all drank the same spiritual drink, Exodus chapter 17, verse six. What was that spiritual drink? Water coming out of a rock miraculously. 
God instructed Moses, I want you to strike the rock and water's gonna come out. Water, that which satiates, that which satisfies. Supernaturally, out of a rock of all things. Notice the next verse, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. Talk about the greatest understatement in the Bible. But with most of them, if there were three million wandering in the wilderness of the first generation, they were on the largest death march ever recorded in history. Every single one of them would die except for two. Only two would make it through, Joshua and Caleb, because they had a different spirit. When everybody else was looking horizontal, when everybody else was looking with eyes of flesh, they were looking with eyes of faith. They were seeing the giants from God's perspective. The fruit is big and it's luscious. Let's take them. Come on, who's with me? And everyone's like, nah, we got that majority report. The majority report said that we're grasshoppers in their sights, that they're big neck people. Anakim means big neck people. And so they were big neck people. They were big and we were like tiny in comparison to them. And they were going to whoop us. And so the majority were looking at it horizontally from man's perspective. Joshua and Caleb were seeing it from God's perspective saying, God is promising the land. Hello, it's called the promised land. But nobody believed them. They believed the majority. And so the same thing is true for us. We can begin to look at situations and circumstances horizontally. God calls us to walk by faith, to take him at his word, to trust that he's going to lead us, that he's going to guide us, that he's going to be with us. So that was the It says, most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. It seems as if the Corinthians had supposed that they're being made partakers of the ordinances of the gospel, such as baptism and the Lord's Supper, would secure their salvation. Notwithstanding, they might be found partaking of idolatrous feasts, as long, at least, as they considered an idol to be nothing in the world. And so what do we do with the blessings that God has given us with these sacraments that we're able to identify with, baptism and communion. And what does it mean to us? Do we take it for granted that uh, there's this security and we can just go out and do whatever we want, whenever we want, without any consequences? Notice verse six. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. What is lust? The word lust is synonymous with desire. And soon you and I have lust. Usually we look at it as a negative, but there can be good desires, right? We can covet good things. Bible says in Exodus, the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet. But when it says don't covet, it's saying don't desire things outside the will of God. But can you have good desires? Absolutely. You desire blessings upon people and you want peace in your life and you want to experience joy Those are good things that we can desire. And so when it puts it in this context, it's saying they lusted after evil things. They kept asking God for more and more and more and more. And what did God do? He blessed them with more and more and more to show them one thing. It wasn't the more things that they really needed. It was God all along. 
And so we need to be careful of the things that we desire. Be content where you're at. Be content with what you have. And if there's a longing and a stirring for your heart, the way that I've managed this in my walk with the Lord is, I take the desires that I have, open hand. And I place them up to God and I say, Lord, these are some desires that I have. These are some longings that I have. These are some things that I'd like to accomplish, something that I'd like to do. Lord, will you check that and and guide me with it? Will you take that and just, Lord, if there's anything that's outside of your will, Lord, remove it. Take it away because I know that you know what's best for me. I know that you have what's best in store for me. So, Lord, if these desires are going to stray me away from your path, I don't don't want them. But these are some things that I think I want to maybe move towards. And so I think with that, there is something that is definitely safe. Verse 7 says, And do not become idolaters as some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. This section is found in Exodus 32, verses 1 through 6, and Numbers 25, verses 1 through 3. And when it says they rose up to play, it's speaking of sexual immorality. Again, trying to find satisfaction outside the will of God. Never going to satisfy you because what is it? It's an idol. And what is an idol made to do? Every single idol is made to fall short in your life. Every single one. And so whatever we're idolizing, whatever we're putting in the place of God is not going to be what we think it's going to be for us. And so we need to be very careful with that. Verse 8 says, Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Exodus 3.26, verse 28, and Numbers 25.9. I find it interesting that in one of those sections, I think it's Numbers 25.9, it says 24,000 fell. And so people will say, well, look, in Corinthians it says 23,000 fell. In, in, in Exodus or Numbers it says 24,000 fell. Contradictions in the Bible. They can't even get their numbers right. Um, hold up. I think right here it says in one day 23,000 fell. The total who fell were 24,000 recorded in Numbers. And so, yeah, not so much. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents nor complain, Numbers 21, 4 through 9, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. And I think this can be summed up with that one thing right here. What was the nation of Israel doing when it was seeking after things that wouldn't fulfill it and satisfy it? It was a complaining heart. It was a discontent heart. They weren't satisfied in the Lord. Here's a newsflash. If you're not satisfied in the Lord, you'll never be satisfied. You'll never be satisfied. If you're not satisfied with the perfect, all-loving, gracious, benevolent, long-suffering, patient one that knows you better than you know yourself, that wants to give you what you need, you'll never be satisfied. Find your contentment in the Lord and the things of the Lord. And then again, if there's longings within your heart, then hold those things up to God and say, Lord, guide me, direct me with these things. The Corinthian Christians seem to have regarded this issue of eating meat, sacrificed to idols, and thereby stumbling their brothers as a small issue. Paul wants them and us to know it reflects a selfish, self-focused heart 
which is the kind of heart God destroyed among the Israelites in the wilderness. It may have been relatively small symptoms, but it was a symptom of a great and dangerous disease. It was their heart. They weren't taking God at his word. They weren't taking serious the things of God. Right now in our culture, you can see what's taking place. People have kicked God out of the picture and they have set themselves up to be gods. They're going to determine what their culture looks like. If we don't want the inconvenience of a pregnancy, then we'll pass something like Roe versus Wade and we'll have abortion on demand. If we want to dictate who's to get married, then we're going to say the Supreme Court of all people will vote this into the law of the land. We're going to determine who's a male and a female based on our standards. And if you were to read Psalm 2, it's coming into fulfillment. The nations rage and the people plot a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves up against the Most High. And he laughs in derision. And so judgment is eventually coming because we've replaced God. I find it interesting if you look at all of the religions of the world and you line them up. Christianity sets sets itself apart on many fronts. Grace sets Christianity apart on every other religion. But what is the starting point with so many of the world views? It starts with the person. It starts with the human being. It starts with the individual. What separates Christianity from that? It starts with God. God was here before anything. And the Bible says the beginning is the fear of the Lord. If you want to know where to start with God, put him in his rightful place. Well, I don't want to. Who's God? Why do I got to do that? Yeah, okay. Then live in your foolishness. Live in your stupidity. Live in your self-confidence. Live in your pride. Because the starting point with God is a reverence for God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the Bible says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Do you want to know where to start? The beginning is the fear of the Lord. It's the reverence for God. It's the respect for God. God has spoken, and God is not playing games. And so man has elevated himself to be God and to call the shots and to dictate to God what God should be doing, the audacity of humanity to do that, the pride within man to do that. Verse 11 says, now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the end of the ages have come. Guys, that's us. These examples are for us that we should see the nation of Israel. I don't know if you've ever studied the history of the nation of Israel in the scriptures, but as I study it and teach it, I look at it and I'm thinking like, Two things stand out. They were dumb and God is gracious. Like how do they keep making the same mistakes generation after generation, year after year, over and over as I'm reading that and then I look in a mirror and I look at my life and I'm like, 
<laughs> That's how. <laughs> okay, yeah. Okay, I get it now, God. Yeah, it doesn't take very long to figure that out. We make some of the same dumb mistakes over and over. Satan tempts us with the same things over and over. And so it's just amazing. What should stand out then was what? Boy, is this a gracious God. Boy, is he good. Verse 12 says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Temptation works like rocks in a harbor. When the tide is low, everybody sees the danger and avoids it. But Satan's strategy in temptation is to raise the tide and to cover over the dangers of temptation. Then he likes to crash you upon the covered rocks. And so we need to be very careful when that tide begins to go up and Satan wants to crash us on the rocks. Last verse, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And so we went through it. We saw the five things that we can avoid when in the moment of temptation, when we're going through difficulties, but we have to find hope in that scripture. God's not gonna ruin his reputation on any one of us. And we need to look for that way of escape. And God gives us dying grace when we need it and not a moment sooner. Oftentimes when we see people going through difficult things, we say, man, I couldn't handle that. I don't know how they're doing it. Well, you don't know how they're doing it because you're not going through it. God will give you what you need when you need it, not a moment sooner. And so we need to look to the Lord for these things. At a market, a little boy standing by some candy looked like he was going to put some in his pocket and walk out the door. A clerk watched the boy for a long time and finally spoke to him. Looks like you're trying to take some candy, the clerk asked. The board replied, you're wrong, mister. I'm trying not to. (laughs) Moments of temptations, it's very difficult for us to judge others. Number one, we don't know how powerful Satan is working in their life at that moment. Number two, we don't know the difficult battle that is waging within them. And so what we need to do for others is we need to be in prayer for them. And for ourselves, what we need to do is we need to take example of these individuals that God has given us throughout the scriptures, that we can look to the answers that God has given to saints in times past to be able to have the solutions for what we need in the lives that we're living today. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for just the power of your spirit to be able to lead us and guide us, even in the midst of a war-torn zone where we find ourselves in enemy territory. Sometimes, Lord, it's at work. Sometimes it's within uh, the very house that we live. But, Lord, I pray that we would look to you for what we need. I pray that we would rely upon you, Lord, for the strength that we need to be able to pull us through. We want to be victorious, Lord. We want to walk in the victory that you have secured for us as we navigate through the rough waters of this world. And so help us, Lord, in those things as we commit our path and our way to you. And Lord, for those who need guidance, I pray that you would be faithful to lead them, Lord, I pray that as they look to you with the desires that are on their hearts, the things that they're not sure about, the direction of their life, I pray, Father, that you would be faithful to lead them each step of the way, 
that you would empower them, Father, with the decisions and just the steps that they're taking as they walk in the light that you provide for them. And so thank you so much for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you for your grace and your goodness as we look to you in Jesus' name, amen.